Hello, and welcome back to the Introverse Media Podcast. My name is Irene, and today I'll be talking about poetry, and later I'll focus on one of the most valuable gems of the generation, poet and novelist Ocean Wong. I think poetry is different from other forms of literary art in that it's more of a mirror of who the poet is rather than a reflection of their craft. It has less to do with what they're trying to convey and more with the eyes and the voice through which that message is transmitted. The Epic of Gilgamesh is considered one of the oldest recorded works of epic poetry. Then you have the Greco-Roman epics like Homer's The Odyssey and The Iliad. With the medieval and renaissance eras, we come to Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales, Beowulf, Dante's Divine Comedy, and then Shakespeare, etc. Uh, early poetry often is more structural in its verse, but over generations, the form has become a lot looser and more interpretive, particularly in the modern and postmodern eras. So now it's really up to the poet to decide how their poem is read, both in the head and aloud as spoken word. Every poem has a soul, and that's what makes poetry so special. Every poem is alive. It breathes and loves and hates in its own unique way. Personally, poetry has always been a catharsis for me. The emotions that I can never really find the right set of words for in the typically assigned structure of proper grammar conventions are always easier to express when I have freedom with this limited language called English. Uh, actually, I'll read a poem I wrote recently. It's an Ars Poetica, which is a kind of poem that underneath its surface is a meditation on the art of poetry itself. So basically, it's a poem about writing poetry. Uh, this particular poem is written after a 1917 painting by Edward Visekal titled Joy, and also after Somaru Vasharnap, a Hungarian song. Translated into English, it's called Gloomy Sunday. Saturday is a smudge of tea berry on a pier. Lost in a future we created because we are artists. Seven shades of sunset and a soul settle quietly and curl up in our laps. The air is still and saccharine dreams are caught between every brushstroke. Somaru Vasharnap. A hundred white flowers to bless us in February. A hundred white flowers crying Sunday. We are poets writing chiaroscuros and we are unheard, spiraling in the eye of the storm. The still air grips our veins. We know more about the world. We are young, but we are artists and we are breathing. As you probably heard, when it comes to spoken word, it's really up to the reader to determine the rhythm and tempo of the poem. Instead of being read straight as prose, poetry utilizes space, or the lack thereof, to establish breath. Um, This is another reason why I believe poetry is closer to the heart than any or most other mediums of literary art. If so desired, every word becomes its poet's heartbeat. 
vulnerable to the emotions and whims of the reader. For example, you wouldn't read this poem in the exact same way as I do. We breathe differently. Uh, obviously, this is just personal preference, but I've always admired Frank O'Hara and Richard Sykin's poetry the most. I've read hundreds of breathtaking poems by incredible poets, but those two have always been able to leave me speechless and reconsidering my entire existence on so many different levels. If I'm able to relate to the poem, it almost feels like they're able to read my thoughts and weave them into those words. And if I can't, then there's also something magical about the epiphany that is required to understand the poem. I actually want to read a bit of both poets for you. Having a Coke with You by Frank O'Hara and I Had a Dream About You by Richard Sykin. I found these pretty early on in my venture into the realm of poetry, but even now these two poems are very special to me and I still come back to them pretty often. They will probably always remain as two of my favorite poems of all time. Without further ado, having a Coke with you is even more fun than going to San Sebastian, Irun, Hende, Yaritz, Bayon, or being sick to my stomach on the Travesera de Gracia in Barcelona, partly because in your orange shirt you look like a better, happier Saint Sebastian, partly because of my love for you, partly because of your love for yogurt. Partly because of the fluorescent orange tulips around the birches. Partly because of the secrecy our smiles take on before people and statuary. It is hard to believe when I'm with you that there can be anything as still, as solemn, as unpleasantly definitive as statuary. When right in front of it, in the warm New York four o'clock light, we are drifting back and forth between each other like a tree, breathing through its spectacles. And the portrait show seems to have no faces in it at all, just paint. You suddenly wonder why in the world anyone ever did them. I look at you, and I would rather look at you than all the portraits in the world, except possibly for the Polish writer, occasionally. And anyway, it's in the Frick, which, thank heavens, you haven't gone to yet. So we can go together for the first time. And the fact that you move so beautifully more or less takes care of futurism. Just as at home, I never think of the new descending a staircase or at a rehearsal, a single drawing of Leonardo or Michelangelo that used to wow me. And what good does all the research of the Impressionists do them when they never got the right person to stand near the tree when the sun sank? Or for that matter, Marino Marini when he didn't pick the rider as carefully as the horse. It seems they were all cheated of some marvelous experience, which is not going to go wasted on me, which is why I'm telling you about it. And Richard Sykin, I had a dream about you. All the cows were falling out of the sky and landing in the mud. You were drinking sangria, and I was throwing oranges at you, but it didn't matter. I said, my arms are very long and your head's on fire. I said, kiss me, here and here and here. And you did. Then you wanted pasta, so we trampled out into the tomatoes and rolled around to make the sauce. You were very beautiful. 
We were in the Safeway parking lot. I couldn't find my cigarettes. He said, hurry up. But I was worried there would be a holdup and we would be stuck in a hostage situation, hiding behind the frozen meats with nothing to smoke for hours. He said, don't be silly. So I followed you into the store. We were thumping the melons when I heard somebody say, nobody move. I leaned over and whispered in your ear, I told you so. There was a show on the television about buried treasure. You were trying to convince me that we should buy shovels and go out into the yard. And I was trying to convince you that I was a vampire. On the way to the hardware store, I kept biting your arm. And you said, if I was really a vampire, I would be biting your neck. So I started biting your neck. And you said, cut it out. And you bought me an ice cream. And then we saw the UFO. These are the dreams we should be having. I shouldn't have to clean them up like this. You were lying in the middle of the empty highway. The sky was red and the sand was red and you were wearing a brown coat. There were flecks of foam in the corners of your mouth. The birds were watching you. Your eyes were closed and you were listening to the road and I could hear your breathing. I could hear your heart beating. I carried you to the car and drove you home, but you weren't making any sense. I took a shower and tried to catch my breath. You were lying on top of the bedspread, in boxer shorts, watching cartoons, and laughing but not making any sound. Your skin looked blue in the television light. Your teeth looked yellow. Still wet, I lay down next to you, your arms, your legs, your naked chest, your ribs delineated like a junkyard dog's. There's nowhere to go, I thought. There's nowhere to go. You were sitting in a bathtub at the hospital, and you were crying. You said it hurt. I mean, the buildings that were not the hospital. I shouldn't have mentioned the hospital. I don't think I can take this much longer. In the dream, I don't tell anyone. You put your head in my lap. Let's say you're driving down the road with your eyes closed, but my eyes are also closed. You're by the side of the road. You're by the side of the road, and you're doing all the talking while I stare at my shoes. They're nice shoes, brown and comfortable, and I like your voice. In the dream, I don't tell anyone. I'm afraid to wake you up. In these dreams, it's always you, the boy in the sweatshirt, the boy on the bridge, the boy who always keeps me from jumping off the bridge. Oh, the things we invent when we are scared and want to be rescued. Your Jeep, your teeth, the coffee that you bought me, the sandwich cut in half on the plate. I woke up and ate ice cream in the dark, hunched over on the wooden chair in the kitchen, listening to the rain. I borrowed your shoes and didn't put them away. You were crying and eating rice. The surface of the water was still and bright. Your feet were burning, so I put my hands on them, but my hands were burning too. You had a bottle of pills, but I wouldn't let you swallow them. He said, will you love me even more when I'm dead? And I said, no, 
and I threw the pills on the sand. Look at them, he said. They look like emeralds. I put you in the cage with the ocelots. I was trying to fatten you up with sausages and bacon. Somehow you escaped and climbed up the branches of a pear tree. I chopped it down, but there was no one in it. I went to the riverbed to wait for you to show up. You didn't show up. I kept waiting. Among other things, these two poems have become the foundation for how I myself write poetry. By nature of my environment, I haven't had any real guidance other than reading poems and talking to poets. I found that I can also gain nuggets of wisdom from watching interviews of poets online, or just videos of them talking about their writing process or even reading their poems. And this brings me to Ocean Wong. I discovered Ocean Wong's poetry in 2018, a year after his collection of poems, Night Sky with Exit Wounds, won the T.S. Eliot Prize. Uh, since then, I've read every poem and essay of his that has crossed my line of sight, especially those that are published in the literary magazines that I follow. Uh, I've attended as many of his virtual events as I can, something that was only made possible by COVID, and listened to all of the podcast episodes and interviews that feature him. Uh, I also came to realize that, in a way, learning about a poet like this can tell you as much about them as their poems do. Ocean Wong published his debut novel, On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous, in 2019. In one podcast, he says it wasn't meant to be a memoir, but in a sense it reads as such. Through the voice of the narrator, nicknamed Little Dog, Ocean tells the story of how his grandmother and mother, both mentally unwell and traumatized by the Vietnam War, escaped Vietnam and made their way to Hartford, Connecticut. Struggling to overcome barriers and stereotypes of his ethnicity and the things he begins to unravel within himself about his own identity, Little Dog learns to navigate a foreign world and love his abusive mother, his schizophrenic grandmother, and his first love, a boy named Trevor. On Earth is so profoundly powerful because all the hallmarks of Ocean Wong's poetry are embedded within it. And although it is read as prose, at its core it is a poem. His masterful use of language broaches and probes topics that society tries to keep repressed for fear of upsetting the status quo. As he does in all of his poems and essays, Ocean Wong redefines masculinity. He redefines the boundary between races. He redefines what it means to be gay in a homophobic family and equally conservative world. He redefines what it means to love another and what it means to be human. I want to end this episode by reading a poem by Ocean Wong. In a time where we seem to be overthrowing traditions with the vehemence of the faceless, there couldn't be anything more fitting. So, thank you for joining me on the Introverse podcast today. Someday I'll Love Ocean Wong by Ocean Wong, written after Frank O'Hara, after Roger Reeves. Ocean. 
Don't be afraid. The end of the road is so far ahead; it is already behind us. Don't worry. Your father is only your father, until one of you forgets, like how the spine won't remember its wings. No matter how many times our knees kiss the pavement, ocean, are you listening? The most beautiful part of your body is wherever your mother's shadow falls. Here's the house with childhood whittled down to a single red tripwire. Don't worry, just call it horizon. And you'll never reach it. Here's today. Jump. I promise, it's not a lifeboat. Here's the man, whose arms are wide enough to gather your leaving. And here, the moment. Just after the lights go out, when you can still see, the faint torch between his legs. How you use it, again and again, to find your own hands. You asked for a second chance, and are given a mouth to empty into. Don't be afraid. The gunfire is only the sound of people trying to live a little longer. Ocean. Ocean, get up. The most beautiful part. Of your body is where it's headed, and remember, loneliness is still time spent with the world. Here's the room with everyone in it. Your dead friends passing through you like wind through a wind chime. Here's a desk with a gimp leg and a brick to make it last. Yes, here's a room so warm and blood close. I swear. You will wake and mistake these walls for skin.